I got fed up of uh, the cult of personality in politics, and so people just talking about themselves rather than talking about good things and doing things. And I thought if the cult of personality is destroying politics, maybe it can be used to re-energise the environmental debate because I'm sick to death of hearing about climate change because we know what needs to be done. People do know about it. It's well out there, but they're not prepared to do anything about it. So my hope is we can energise people to come at it from a different angle. So if they hear people who are passionate about the natural world, they'll see the positive parts of nature and botany and entomology and whatever and they will then go hey that person's interesting they love that plant that's really nice I like that plant maybe I shouldn't fly as much maybe I shouldn't and come around it from that side rather than saying you're going to die uh, and these and are the reasons why you're not going to die yes you're not going to die it'll be your children that will die and I mean what do your children ever do for you so we're grand we're um, alright I was talking to someone the other day and he said well I, I know the world's broken but it's not my problem it's my children's problem and I'm like so aren't you going to help them and no I'm going to have a great life. I was like, oh, yeah. that's yeah. awful. They were going to drop the atom bomb when I was growing up. They had the Bay of Pigs. There was going to be invasions of America. You know, we all had to get on with these things. There was World Wars before. I mean, I'm not that old. But they were the people who have, who had to go through the Second World War. You know, they, they had to get on with it. There mm. might be no world. So, you know, global warming, global climate change, whatever they have. Do you think on. that's my, yeah, my yeah, generation, like, I'm sure generation's ah, yeah. thing? No, and, and, and there'll be, there'll be um, some human way of, of doing it. I mean, human beings are very enterprising and they'll come up with some solution. But why should I have to stop going in my Rolls Royce down the road at 100 miles an hour? Why should I stop going in my private jet? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, if I stop going in my private jet, just me, I have to, and I'm going around in, in, in sackcloth and ashes. The world is either still going to hell in a handcuff, or yeah. else it's not, so why should I bother? And that's the, that's the attitude and what you're describing in a lot of cases because yeah. because people are selfish. Yes. And they're always going to be selfish, no matter how much they think the world is going to come to an end, unless it's unless the barbarians are at the door, mm-hmm. at the very door. They're there. Those kind of people aren't. And so we have to hope for responsible people who will make who will make things happen. I mean, the same barbarians wouldn't pay taxes either if they didn't have to kick in and scream. You know, I mean, people don't want to live their lives only completely selfishly for themselves. Yeah. So they're only made by other people to well, do other things. So why... Those kind of people are the ones that we're hoping to convert. Mm-hmm. But you know, there you go. It, but it's why the the uh, from from my perspective the the first trick to solving climate change or fixing the climate emergency is to make it in everyone's best interest to... Are we recording now? We are recording, yeah. Yeah, good. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, Um, Sorry, have I interrupted now? No, 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 not at all. We'll leave this in as the sort of the slow intro, the cold open, and then I'll I'll cut to us. um, I'll give you your introduction. In the depth of the forest, an old oak the pride of the greenwood there. O'er his branches the ivy her mantle threw When the forest boughs were bare Oh, the oak and the ivy Oh, the oak and the ivy Hello, I'm David Oakes and welcome to Trees A Crowd. This is a podcast for those of you who, like me, think our natural world is incredible. From a country without snakes, smattered with moss and corn crakes, I get to talk with people dedicated to or inspired by our natural world. In this episode, I'm on the Emerald Isle, on the southern outskirts of Dublin, and I'm here to meet Aina Nilauna, Ireland's favourite naturalist and broadcaster. Aina has served as the President of the Tree Council of Ireland, as the Secretary for the Irish Part of the Botanical Society of the British Isles, and as the President of Antashka, the Irish National Trust. On top of that, she's published a number of books about wildlife, about education, and about wildlife in education. So, Aina, hello, 
and welcome to Trees of Crow. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for making the time. Yeah, I guess where to start? You're you're being very gracious to me to give me an hour today because you're about to run out and talk to people about the environmental world. So hopefully we can drain you a bit so they don't get anything themselves. <laughs> I, yes, I, I earn my living from talking, which is a, a good thing considering I'm so very fond of talking. <laughs> and I earn my living from talking about the natural world and wildlife and things like this. But I'm not a teacher. My parents, my father was a teacher. My older sister, my brother were teachers. I know what being the teacher is like and I ran a mile but I ended up then <laughs> teaching teachers teaching everybody else but not not formally in the classroom day in day out One of, uh, although the, it's a wonderful job it wasn't for me well those who can as they say yes I know those who can those who can teach those who can't one of the things I don't they do anything else yeah. Yeah. They, they become actors unfortunately um, I, that, one of the things I dug up about you there was this amazing book that you created for primary school teachers um, yes which sort of went through year upon year so it started with like them as infants when they go infants. in wild, wild things at school it was called it's yeah. brilliant like starts off with yeah so it's given away free on the internet and as a consequence nobody knows anything about it <laughs> you want to kill something stone dead give it away on the internet it was done because I go around I, I, I don't take fools at all never mind take fools gladly or graciously or anything else and I'm always giving out about something and I was at some talk or another that I was pontificating at and I said you know I went to visit schools as a heritage in school scheme that the Heritage Council run here and they invite experts, God help us, into schools to talk about things. But I go into schools quite a bit under this scheme and you go in and you ask the baby infants, you're in the morning early with them because they're the first you talk to, well, mm-hmm. what do you know? And they know daisies and dandelions and buttercups. And this is great, and they do. Yeah. And they can sing the song about the pissy bells, that's what we call dandelions in Ireland. Can you they sing know... the song about the pissy bells? Oh, well, yeah. no, I can't sing the song about the pissy bells. <laughs> Too sing... early for that. I can't sing it all. <laughs> but it's, you know, the pissy bells, and they, they have daisies, they make daisy chains, and they have the buttercups under your chain to see, do you like butter? Yeah, we did that. And then the whole day passes and you move up from one class to another and by two o'clock in the day, because the school's finished here and half two, good, good long day here, we um, go into sixth class. I go into sixth class. What do you know? And guess what? They know daisies and dandelions and buttercups. They're at school for eight years and they have learned nothing. nothing because they knew them coming in and they know them going out. Sure. And I thought, well, they're eight years in school. Why don't they learn two flowers each year? One creepy crawly, one bird, one tree and one mammal. And that would be six things Every eight year. years and if I went in and asked them in sixth class what do you know and they told me 48 things I'd probably drop dead with the shock so anyway <laughs> this was me like you're laughing ha ha that's the general reaction yeah. I used to get to this very worn out joke indeed until one day I was when I said it too much on the, the um, Heritage Office for County Leash Catherine she said listen you're always on about this we have a few Bob will you write the book of the 48 things that every school child leaving school should no I'm not stuck to me I'm telling you so therefore then I had to then put on the thinking cap and write a, a programme for schools now in, in Ireland we, we teach environmental studies in schools since 1999 before that we didn't so it's a kind of a new subject. I mean, lots of the people that were teaching in school may not necessarily have, have done it themselves when they were sure. in school themselves. So any bit that they need to get to help them is good. So I, I decided that I would write the book and that in, in junior infants you would learn your eight things, in senior infants you'd learn your eight things, and similarly all the way up all the along. Way and the book was for 
the teachers. It wasn't for the pupils, yeah. it was for the teachers. Well, so it has activities at the end of everything. So well, and you, they, they, they put on their grew legs and then yeah. they wanted me to do do activities. And I did a big activities book with two activities for each thing. So I had to invent 96 activities. That's what I get for 48. <laughs> and it was a great big book. And they were done for, for the classes. So the baby infants ones, there was no there was no reading on it. It had to be coloured in and stuff. Uh-huh. And we'll tell you in sixth class you were conducting, uh, you know, dull debates. But um, the county councils then, there were three councils that got the money together to do uh-huh. it. This was the thing, Leash and Kildare and Monaghan. And in those counties, they gave them out free to the primary school teachers, this uh-huh. pa- to the, those counties, yes. and nobody else could get their hands on it. It wasn't available to anybody else. Because so, they'd funded it and they didn't want to make it accessible? Well, they funded it. No, well, their, their budget wouldn't. They didn't care, but they only funded it. They only had so many copies. Sure, okay. The school handed it. There it was. Grand. If I mean, all, all the heritage officers are responsible for is their own county. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when the word got out, if you want, if you want somebody to want something, make sure they can't have it. And then I used to be writing it to me when I send them a free copy and that I have a spare copy. And I had about two copies and I wasn't giving it to anybody because they needed none. And then somebody else then, the Heritage Council then, who, who are doing this Heritage in School scheme, they put it up on their website. Mm-hmm. But now the schools say, ah, we can't be downloading that and we haven't got a colour print or anything <laughs> Sweet mother of God. Anyway, it's a great book. It's Did a great you, book. It is. It's fantastic. Did you feel responsible for the creatures you didn't choose to be one of those 48? Like oh, not at all, of course. Who made no. the cart and why? I did, because because you, you, you're you in the school. Most schools have a bit of a schoolyard around them. You know, there was no point. I, I went way back years ago when I was um, doing stuff with... Um, teachers we, we used to go to the Aran Islands now the Aran Islands are where we learn Irish it's the other side of the country it's part of the Burren landscape and trainee teachers who are learning to be primary school teachers have to go for a three week immersion course in okay. Irish so they went over there and they were learning Irish 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 that was all grand until somebody decided they're over there in this most wonderful part of Ireland somebody should be showing them about the wonderful Burren flowers and things over there mm-hmm. and because it's Irish we got to do it in Irish now, okay. I know why Irish is the Irish native language of the country, you know, it's not so, not so widely spoken, but Misha on show was sent off to do it, having an Irish name, I'd be a white looking Egypt, and I don't <laughs> speak Irish. So off I went anyway to do this, and there I was, showing these wonderful things to the primary school teachers from mostly from the East Coast. Here was the bloody cranes, but the bloody cranes was a great big cranes, but lovely big petals. And they said, yeah, right, but they didn't know. The Herb Robert, which is the ordinary crane spell. Uh-huh. So how could you fall dead at, at the foot of a bloody crane spell, which is a wonderful thing, when you didn't when know you the ordinary know the, thing? Yeah. So how can you appreciate the exotic when you don't know the you ordinary? You need the entrance species. So this is why I did my book. It's the ordinary things. You're in the school. You're looking out. There's a bit of an old football field in the school grounds. What do you see? So we had the daisies and the dandelions and the white clover and we had the cell field and we had... And each time around they had to go out and find these things, speed wells. So are you more proud about educating the children or about educating the teachers in the first instance? Well, I don't educate the children and the teachers. That's their job. They're the pedagogues. I'm only, I said, I don't teach. They only teach teachers. So I guess, I guess my question is that if, if people always come to you when they want either a podcast recorded or to educate the entire natural history section of the primary school of, of Ireland, like, why you? How? What? Why have you become this sort of uh, totem of naturalistic Irishness? Well, I don't know. Probably because of an accident. Everything is an accident. Actually, there's lots of accidents. When I was 13, I wanted to be a home economics teacher. Okay. I wanted to cook. I love cooking. Oh, all the cookery books. There's, there's a whole book shelf of books. There's a whole yeah. dresser full of books. And they're yeah. all... Up there, I have a study where all my wildlife books are, but these are the kitchen books. 
But anyway, I fell off the door. I was swinging on the door, I fell down and broke my arm. So I couldn't actually go to secondary school and be a cook because I couldn't do it. So I had to do science because that was the other thing that you... Science and cooking are the same thing. Well, well I, as I found out, but I mean, you were in a different class doing science. And I did science up as far as my junior set, the middle, the intercert, as it was called then. And then because it was in a girls' school, they didn't do science anymore after that. That was for boys. And I went off as far as leaving to do Latin and French and history and geography. Oh, what a wonderful education because we do loads of subjects in Ireland. Uh-huh. We do seven for... Uh, and I got a scholarship to university because I was terribly smart and bright and clever, <laughs> as you can understand. I still am. Still have my marbles. But anyway, when I went to university in those different days, you could do anything you liked. So sure. I said I wasn't thinking of doing any more French and German and history and things. And I lined up and did science. And this is the University College Dublin? Yeah, University. Yeah. And in those days you could. I mean, nowadays you have to have a million points and everything to get in. I probably wouldn't be worthy to, to wipe the, the, the feet of the people in there then. No, but um, yeah, I went in and then I did physics and chemistry and I did biology. No, we didn't. Biology and you're, you're still pretty... And I loved it so much then. And that was, that was where it took off. And you're so putting all down to breaking the arm. Like if you well, yeah, well, if broke the arm, I'd have, been, I'd have been doing home economics, which I wanted to do. Although my mother used to say, I teach you how to cook at home. My mother now wasn't the world's best cook, but she didn't think, why would you waste your life doing that? So did but, your did your parents when they were raising you bring you up in the natural world then or was it just something you didn't care about at all until you went to university? Like how does how does that happen? Like, well, I mean, in Ireland, to an extent, you're surrounded by nature anyway. So I lived in the country. My father was a local school teacher. There were seven children in the family. Seven? I was seven. Well, that where, was a small family. Where are you family. in that? Number you, two. Number two, okay. Number two. There was my sister and me, and then there was boys and things. Boys <laughs> and things after that. But, um, you know, your mother would come along and she'd say, go out and play, and don't come in unless you're bleeding. Like, don't be coming in complaining, he pushed me and he shoved me and he won't let me go on the swing and he took my ball. Don't come in unless you're bleeding. Sure. So then yeah, we were outside, that was it. So you climbed the trees and you went to the river and you knew where the birds' nests were because we had said we lived in a rural area. And when people say, you know, well, doesn't everybody, isn't everyone interested in the environment? Well, it's something special. I mean, you know, when did you get interested in the environment? When did you get interested in having your dinner or your tea or putting on your clothes or, or combing your hair or washing your face? I mean, these are things, why, why aren't you? When did you not get interested in the environment would be the question I would ask. So I'm always taking the back that, of people saying, you, when did though. you get interested? As if, as if it wasn't a normal thing to be interested in. But I mean, that's, that would be the answer that I would give. I mean, I grew up in the New Forest and you're just surrounded by it and you went out and you climbed trees and that was it. I remember diving into whole beds of ferns because it was there and that's what you did and that was great. But that's not normal. Well, it's certainly not anymore. Well, you see, uh, the world has changed. I mean, yeah. we did a survey for the Tree Council a couple of years ago for a tree week, and we discovered that 40% of Irish children have never climbed a tree. Have never climbed a tree. And you think, there's two kids in the family. Children nowadays, I have grandchildren now. I mean, we never saw their lovely grandchildren. I'm very fond of them. There's pictures of them there. But, um, oh, the minding, the minding that those children get. And it's not just my grandchildren. This is the generation who have one or two children, work very hard, the children are in crash, and when they have them after that, at the evening time or at the weekends, they don't let them out of their sight. There's no go out and play and don't come in unless you're bleeding. I mean, you know, and then if you go, I mean, even if, even if my mother were to come out and play with us, my mother would never have said, go on and climb that tree. I mean, nobody's mother will let you climb a tree. Mm. They'd say, come down on her, that you'll be killed stone dead. Because that's, <laughs> used to, I used to have a tree in the front garden and my kids used to climb up it. And, and the neighbours were talking, say, your son is up at the top of that tree. He'll fall down on the railings. And I said, well, if he does, he'll turn into a girl. I mean, that'll <laughs> teach him. They never fell off the tree. They never locked on the railings at all. Not a bit of them. The, the know, first thing so, you learn so, about climbing yeah. trees is don't fall out. Don't like. fall out of them. And if you do, you, you don't tell your mummy unless you're bleeding. <laughs> because I did fall down a tree and got barbed wire, which was rust 
university and I was bleeding, but I didn't like to tell my parents that I, I was bleeding because I'd fallen down a tree and was told not to climb and I nearly got blood poisoning. So that's something good. I think that's where the bleeding bit came in, but other than do, that. Do you remember those massive scabs like you used to get as a kid? I remember like vividly. On your knees, particularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These giant sort of inch long, inch wide sort of. And sometimes there'd be pus coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I sort of oddly reminisced of those days. Just because you went around skidding on your knees and things, removed what bit of flesh you had there, indeed. Yeah, yeah. There's an adventurer I spoke to a little while ago who made it his thing to climb a tree every day. Like that was his thing. He'd go and find a different tree every day. Yeah. Well, climbing trees were great. Getting down wasn't so easy. Sometimes you'd go, get down, get down. I think if you can't. Well, I found that sort of not quite spotting where you were going and smashing your head straight into a branch that you hadn't noticed coming straight towards you. That was always a good one. Yes, indeed. But um, <laughs> so it's, the, the reason they don't climb trees now is because they're not allowed to, to play by themselves. Mm-hmm. For, for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. More than anything else. You do see sometimes in parks um, very um, enlightened parents hooshing their children up trees but then you see then you climb up the tree in the park and you fall down and brain yourself and you sue the council for having that tree there with sure. this branch does so there's a huge particularly I don't know about other countries but certainly in Ireland sue 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 I mean, you, don't, you don't look out where you're going you fall in over the footpath and then you sue the council because the footpath was there you yeah. know well there wasn't it wasn't completely smooth like a dance floor I there's, mean what are people like there's one thing that I've seen quite a lot recently is a lot of children's play parks are starting to incorporate natural materials more which so, is lovely which is lovely yes, and yeah. there'll often be sort of like a giant beetle they can climb on or like a pretend tree that they can sort of use as a so that's the, climbing frame that's yeah, right there's yes. a, there's a I've movement. seen lots of lots of uh, playgrounds all of a sudden again yeah. now that, that stage in my life has come around again it's sort of become I mean not, it is it is trendy like the environment is, is trendy at the moment which is long overdue I guess but as long as it sort of becomes real and, and as long as just sort of playing on a pretend tree transmutes into something more passionate in later life than I, I have been thing. on doing a radio program for the last I suppose since 1990 maybe. this is Mooney's Mooney goes wild since yeah. 1995 but there were precursors of it before then and for a long time it was actually live and people would people would actually ring in while you would be on air and people sent in emails and people no they didn't people wrote letters and they sent in parcels containing things now they just send in emails and, and attached photographs which is somewhat more simple perhaps but the general what's in the box oh I know dead, dead, dead chaffage that was delayed at the post for a week is not what you want to be opened up on Monday or a live bat I got a live bat once <laughs> so in, sent you a bat. in an anodine box when I opened the anodine box this thing would put it and the bat was alive inside <laughs> it. what were they asking were they going what species is this what like? is this and what will it do to you what is this and how do you get rid of it it's always Wildlife is the enemy, them and us. What is it and what will it do to you? Or if it's not that, what's it for? I mean, what's a bat for? I mean, what are the people for? <laughs> I mean, it's a nerve of them. You know, I don't like woodlice. They're ugly. They're horrible looking creatures. I... I mean, do you ever think what a woodlice thinks looking at you? <laughs> I mean, you only've got to what? Two legs. I've got 14 legs. You have no antennae. I and mean, who would want a hairy thing like you? Us woodlice are much nicer. But the for people to say this thing looks horrible mm. therefore it shouldn't exist is the, is the, is the next step and you squish it I remember vividly uh, someone coming into our primary school as a kid with uh, a few bats I think they had one of them in a small matchbox with cotton wool in it and we got to meet this beautiful I think it was a pipistrelle yeah a little weeny one yeah. oh gorgeous and I've been obsessed with them ever since there's something about bats that everyone sort of there was a folk singer I had on the show she sings the theme tune Bella Hello, who, Bob. I'd love a cup thank you um, who again was obsessed with bats and like I don't know what it is whether it's because they can fly and they are mammals and that they're a bit like us but not like us that we're sort of so obsessed with them 
And we know so much lies about bats. Mm. You're as blind as a bat. Bats aren't blind. Bats will fly into your hair. Oh, no, they won't. Unless your hair is full of moths and midges and mosquitoes, which is what they're eating. <laughs> and bats will suck your blood and they're vampires. You know, you always know the wrong thing. Even yesterday in the school, they were all putting up their hands to say that squirrels hibernated. And squirrels don't hibernate. Nice. No, no you see them through the winter frantically still trying to find food. I asked them, I asked them where they where they had they seen squirrels and some of them had and they saw them in the park when last week I did not think in the winter time you're seeing a squirrel and teacher said or mammy said they were hibernating you know did you not think but no nobody thinks anymore so I was telling them to be a scientist you had to notice things and you had to ask questions so there wasn't too much hope for this class I was saying to them disparagingly. So let, let's go back to University College Dublin. Yeah. So you were doing science then, but not biology. Yeah, no, I was doing... Well, the biology wasn't a subject then. Sure, it, it was, was just... physics, chemistry, maths and botany. OK. And botany. So botany was the best after sure. the first year when I discovered how really hard physics was when you had never known what an atom or a molecule was before <laughs> you set foot in the place. But I, I passed all my subjects. I even got honours in the physics. But anyway, well, in first year. And it was the pass. It was the pass paper rather than the honours paper in the instance. But anyway, I went on to do botany and microbiology. And then I went on to do then postgraduate research in in um, ecology. In what ecology what particularly was it about botany and microbiology? Oh, it was great because, I mean, I'd been climbing up those trees and doing all of this and now suddenly under a microscope you could see the cells it was like a wall they were all so brilliantly done mm. and the nucleus and all the stuff going around and you know that it was all so you know I mean wonderfully put together the whole idea of this and you know when you were learning about photosynthesis and mm. the whole idea of the capillary action going up the tree and the tree had a limit you couldn't have a tree that was a thousand feet high or two thousand feet high, yeah. and the reason was the blood physics. pressure, basically. Yeah, yeah, the it was the physics back. It was good to have done that first year in physics, so you could understand all this, this, this carry on. Well, it's all interlinked, isn't it? It's, it's all interlinked. So, like holistic. how, how the how the world works essentially, hmm. and then and then the, the the microbiology then was grand because that was the small little creatures that you couldn't see, and we were coughing and sneezing into petri plates and bringing them into the loo to see was it was some filthy or germs in there. In fact, the worst ones I think were in the canteen, but we won't go there. And you were putting your pet dishes into into bake them over the weekend i was told like that we yeah. have worse things in our mouths as humans than we have in our rectums but we've also got worse things in our mouths than dogs have in their mouths like a human mouth in terms of the oh yeah that's why if is... you if you have a darling little child going off to play school and bites another darling little child you really have to practically you know bring them to hospital and get them immunized a bite from from human teeth is is, is terrible it's really bad so that's why they're so death down on it it's not With just that c- it hurts that the kid cries but there's actually terrible germs with the Komodo well. dragon yeah. of the mammal world well I think so we're, we're pretty bad alright do you remember anything from those early days that they taught you in botany that has been disproved since or anything that you can't believe that was presumed to be the norm or were things right on and going in the right direction from that from that step I know the big, the big changes that have happened have been in genetics now, I mean, in the 1970s, because mm-hmm. that's when I was in college, she in fact, the late 1960s, it was all different. There was no Louise Brown, there was no test tube babies. I really love genetics, and that's the great bit. And I lecture in genetics now in the zoo. I talked, I went to the zoo, zoo, the zoo in Dublin, have a whole education department, and I'm the genetics lecturer. But I go in and do all the all the sexy bits of genetics, so I'm not doing Darwin's crosses, or not Darwin um, Mendel. I'm not mm-hmm. doing 9 to 3 to 3 to 1 ratios. They're supposed to have learned all that. And I'm doing the bits about the, you know, genetics 
genetic engineering and the bits about genetic fingerprinting and your sure. DNA testing, which is really genetic fingerprinting, and all of this. I mean, that was all not there when I was in college at all. So have you learned that how? Like, was that through your PhD or was that later on? If that's just oh, well, I mean, yeah, ex- yeah. extra reading along any the way. day, any day you don't wake up and learn something is a poor day. So I mean, you know, it was all. I mean, it's a while ago since then, and I uh, kept up with things. The things you're interested in, you keep up with, don't yeah. you? And um, you know, and I go to other, you know, when I was setting this up, I made sure I, I, I went to some of the professors that were there in Trinity to make sure that I wasn't peddling rubbish. And, you know, and they were, you know, very polite and, you know, put me on the right track and sure. came along to my first lecture to make sure I wasn't saying it all wrong. And, you know, it, it goes down very well. I have, I have actually... Even said, which will be children and, or pupils in Ireland who will be 17, 18, and I can have them there for two hours and not a peep out of them because it's such an interesting subject. It's great. You know, normally after 40 minutes, they're clicking their phones and looking at their watches, and after 40 more, they're shaking their mobile phones to see if they died. I've got. But, so they're great. So, like, if you really are passionate about something, you it know, comes they, they through. clap at the end. Well, they always say you remember mm. your good teachers. I mean, I, I still vividly remember the people who inspired me as a kid. Um, I could go through and name them all now and make their egos bigger. But, um, uh, yeah, but I mean, the thing is, the thing is, as Brian McMahon said, he's an Irish writer, he was a teacher in Kerry, you know, a good teacher leaves the mark of his teeth on three generations. So my father Which takes was, us back to how bad a human bite is. <laughs> well, there you go. My father was a primary school master, was the master at home, and he was 39 years teaching. And the people that, when he retired, were the grandchildren of the people he taught when he arrived into the place. 40 years pre or 39 years previously so you do leave the mark of your teeth on three generations do you think that for good or evil <laughs> do you think that your father being a teacher and obviously being a good one that had an impact also had the impact on you to have that kind of passion charisma and desire to pass it on well I'm sure he must I mean how do I know what that's the kind of father I had I mean I didn't like an experiment I didn't go that so he's to control now I go back and have another father and see how it turned out be different but I mean he always expected he was great. I mean, in those times, it was you went to school, you did your leave cert if you were lucky, because education wasn't free then. And then you got a job as a typist and then you got married and gave up your job because sure. you weren't allowed to work as a married woman until 1972. That was that was the rule. And many of my colleagues in school in the late 70s... When did you get married? Oh, I didn't. I didn't get married until 1978. Is that so you could work or because you hadn't met the right guy? Oh, Lord, no, I was going to with Johnny for seven years. I let him in college. What would you be getting married for? In a country where there was no contraceptives, in a country where you'd be ending up with seven babies like your mammy. Yes. <laughs> well, I had the whole world to see. I wasn't getting married. Lord. <laughs> so what did you do after university? What did you go into work at? Well, I got a job. I didn't want to be a teacher. Now, there was very little else to do. But there was a place called Unforest Forbaha. And Unforest Forbaha was the Institute of Research and Development. And they were the research wing of the Department of Local Government, which turned out eventually to be the Department of the Environment. But the environment hadn't been invented in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So the the, um, the Department of Local Government were the government for like the county councils for each, each of the counties were governed under this. And they were all, each county was run by a county manager and a county architect and they had county development sure. plans and all of this. So um, the forest then was, was, was doing the scientific research because there wasn't, each county council couldn't have enough money to employ their own kind of research people. So, so the, this forest, this institute... You were like um, an umbrella. Yeah, so that, that I was in the, in the planning section of that, in the, because I had a degree in biology or botany, I was doing that. So um, they were making county development plans. So we're going, to, we're going to build houses over here, we're going to do whatever. And by having 
a map of the distribution of the plants and animals that were around, then you could see that this was a place where it was very good for an old woodland or very good for something else. Mm-hmm. Whereas this information didn't exist before that. So I was the head of the Biological Records Centre and the arms and the legs and the whole lot because I was the only person actually employed in the place. And the Biological Records Centre had been in Britain before over in Huntingdon. So if you had a record of some rare thing you saw, you sent it off to Britain. Now you can imagine the Irish people were delighted to be sending their records over to to the uh, perfidy of Albion. We need to be signed off by the colonisers across the border. We're not sending over their stuff. So they got very little. They got some from sensible people who realised that science was above politics. But you know, and anyway, apart from anything else, they were over in Huntingdon trying to get their own records. So they didn't have much of it. This is why the Botanical Society of the British Isles Irish Regional Branch which mm-hmm. is, we nobody liked the name of that but that's what it was called <laughs> we was to send in plant records over to those people so I set it up then as the Irish Biological Records Centre and then tried to get the records for the county so that the, the, the county council would have some information then for that Had this not been done before because um people sort of knew about it in just sort of a general sense that they didn't need to it was it a huge expansion of people so it needed to be stopped uh, need to be recorded so we knew what we were destroying or what we needed to preserve like what was it about that point in time that necessitated uh you having to do that well planning laws only came in in ireland in 1964 okay. before that you could build anything anywhere and even still occasionally you get things with pre-63 which means that they had no sure. planning permission of any sort in description. So planning permissions then had to come in, come in in 1964 and then so there had to be plans as to where things might be. Mm-hmm. But things happened slowly in Ireland. So by the 1970s, you know, would you drain that old wet field and build it? Or, or was that really some wonderful marsh with something in it? Yeah. Now the only people that had been doing any work in Ireland on wildlife were the bird people. So you had the Irish Wild Bird Conservancy which was made up of previous so that was you know victorian gentlemen who were sure. going around looking at birds and making lists and yeah. um you can't conserve or keep someplace if you don't know anything about it. that place looks grand we'll keep it well have sure. you got any sign data to back that up so the bird people were the only people who had data so so they were the they were the first were they useful to you like, well they had their own data so they 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 would send it over to the british trust for ornithology okay. in slimbridge and I mean, and to this day, the the, the the British Isles, wherever that place might be, are, are together for... It's somewhere for, outside the EU, apparently. Well, apparently it's all right, except for this, a bit of it in the EU. So excuse me. <laughs> but anyway, the birds aren't aware of this, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a geographical entity for things. So, so that, that made sure. sense. So there was no point in taking the one bit that was happening and saying, I want a bit of that. Why not? So I, I had to set up then plans for mammal recording, plans for insect recording. The Botanical Society were doing plants and they were going over to, to, to um, Britain as well, to Huntington. So they were kind of being coped with a bit. But people... the people of Ireland didn't know anything about sure. wildlife because this was the 70s. Never taught in school. We had just joined the EU <laughs> for the first time in 1972. And one of the quid pro quos was that you had to get certain standards up. And one of them was the educational standards. Uh-huh. So we had to bring in, in schools, environmental education. So biology as a subject for the Leaving Cert came in in 1971. Uh, I was yeah. long gone from, that's why I wasn't doing it in school. But, it wasn't it there. Exist, yeah. Yeah, well, science was there, like physics and chemistry. But we not, take it for granted now but that not, that not biology, that wasn't on that. Well, they're thinking and of... similarly in primary schools, it was much later before mm-hmm. it came. So nobody knew anything about wildlife. So they're, they're thinking of, a few people are discussing at the moment about the possibility of having a natural history GCSE. Um, yeah. as a way to get more of it in but I'm, I don't know what, what do you think about that do you think that's a good thing or do you think it's what do you mean a natural history DC for the people of Ireland listen to this it's just been that that's, I mean the many subjects do you do in the GCSE oh you do about 
well, I did 13 GCSEs, you do between yeah. 7 and 15, I don't know. But then would you not some of those be biological subjects anyway? Well, that's what I was I mean, thinking. So, and so and I did biology, yeah. and I always liked it when things interlinked. So yeah. I liked the fact that you could study the war poets in history, or you could learn about the history of writing in English. You shall not you... hear the bittered cry in the wild sky where he is lain, or the voices of sweeter birds above the wailing of the rain. This is Francis Ledwidge talking about... Thomas McDonough. Thomas McDonough wouldn't have heard the bit and cry even if he was alive mm-hmm. because it was 200 years extinct in Ireland at the time. <laughs> but why would you spoil a good story with the facts? Well, you know, I, you know. so I mean, so, yeah, for, little, for Ireland, they can know too much. But for Ireland as well, the link between the natural world and the environmental one is so strong through the poetry, through the, through the, through the folk songs, through all the stories. So, I mean... Through the place names. Yeah. I mean, there's Irish place names. Dublin. Dublin? Do you know what Dublin means? No, I think I'm about to find out. Well, there you go, Dublin. Thoot Lynn, the Black Pool. Oh, okay. It was to do his dolphins black and Lynn is a pool. And then sometimes it's called Bolyahatlia, which is the town of the hurdles because obviously you could ford the river on hurdles and get across. But the do Lynn was the black pool. That was the original name of the place. So yeah. I was in Glendalough yesterday. Yeah. Um, that's easy. Surely uh, you even, even you that's, know so that's that is. that's the Glen of Two Lakes. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I went up the Spink. You did? I yeah. have no idea what spink means. Oh, I think the spink is somebody who had delusions of grandeur and was kind of thinking I'll name of... it after me and my name's spink. No, no, no. I think thought of something to do with Egypt and the Sphinx or something like this. Oh, it's okay. some sort of a, of a of a folly or something of that order. But it's not a, not a typical... You picked a bad one there to be... I went for the walk them, there yeah. because... Um, I mean, there's Glenn Malure and Glenn, you know, and Glenn, all of these ones. Sure. And they're all called after... Ure is a yew tree and there's heaps of places called after the yew tree. I mean, where you are at the moment is terrible. In your, here when you are the land of the yew trees um, yew trees were the second most common tree in Ireland after the oak the oak of course was the first so you have uh-huh. Derry this and Derry that and Derry County Derry so Derry's oak yeah so Kildare mm-hmm. so you so Mayo and we yo the plain of the yew trees and yet there's none now so why were they so common then and there's none of them around now do you know no I don't know well yew trees were weapons of mass destruction uh, arrow. Uh, uh, so they made bows, bows from yeah. them. And until 1400, uh, when men invented gunpowder to kill each other we more effectively... We were cutting down all the yew trees to kill we, the No, French no, no, we weren't cutting them down. We were actually cultivating them to have them. The plane of the yew trees in Mayo was their arsenal. And they, they had their bows... And as soon as they weren't useful, there's no point to grow them anymore. Because they're poisonous. Yeah. So why would you keep things that might endanger your, your crops if you didn't need them to keep away the savage neighbours? You, you could shoot incredible. the savage neighbours instead. You know, so that was where. But again, it's still in the place. It's still in the Irish in the Irish language names, and they're bastardised into English like Terry Neur. But that's Tear on Neur. It's the very same word. Mayo, Mio, Neuri, Yorkintra, Yall, Yokel, Ross, Russio. All of these have the have the have the U name in them. What's What's your favourite tree? Where do you find your affinity? Go on, if you tree. had to. If you my favourite tree is. I don't have. Why should I have to pick one? <laughs> my favourite tree is. I mean, I have an elder tree in the garden there, and that's great when it gets its leaves to come mm-hmm. out early. That's that's that has flowers on it. That has. And yet, that's an old tree of death. It's the Celtic tree of of, of the end of the year and this sort of thing. Sure. People consider this to be something because the timber is been cursed by God because that's a tree Judas was hanged on and if you hit somebody with a bit they won't grow anymore and if you if you make a boat out of it it'll sink and if you make a cradle <laughs> out of it the baby will die. I'm sure you could build a very big boat out of that one. Well if I minded it now it probably could but that was only planted by a bird who sat up on the wire and did a dropping down there it grew in my back garden. So that's I mean I'd be raging if that went away but then if I see a wonderful oak tree like the one they have below in below in, in, in Wicklow that's just outside the place in Knock Sink and it's got a straight stem and must go up 30 feet uh-huh. and then you have a lovely crown at the top I mean you know if I had a garden that could accommodate an oak tree sure. like that that would be my favourite one but you know it, this is my favourite and I hate all the rest that's Copy that. not a good question I though. do <laughs> that is a bad question you were a bad broadcaster David
And on that revelation, we are going to leave it there, or at least for a week. Aina is completely on my list of most favourite people, but my word, you have to up your game to keep up with her. This recording took place with Aina back in January at her home in Dublin. Presently, we're still in the pandemical mire, which is COVID-19. So if you're homeschooling your children at this very moment and fancy some activities to boost your child's burgeoning fascination with the natural world, please do have a look at Aina's Wild Things at School online book. It is magnificent, it is perfect for now, and it is free. And there is a link to it on our website at treesacrowd.fm. We'll be back with part two next Monday where we will be discussing Irish history and Cromwell and moles and snakes and saints and trees and peat bogs and, obviously, Irish words for willies. As always, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out our back catalogue of almost 50 interviews now and we will be back in a week's time for more Trees A Crowd. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Oh, the oak and the ivy Oh, the oak and the ivy Oh